Hi everybody, I'm Peter Travers. Welcome to Popcorn, where we tell you what's happening at the movies. And there's an extraordinary movie uh, called Churchill now, starring my guest, Brian Cox. Oddly enough, he's playing Winston Churchill, which is always a good thing, isn't it, if it's Churchill. It's, yeah, it's, ni it's, it's, always, it's nice that you It's always nice it. to play the main role. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And it's great to have you it's here. It's lovely Brian. to be here, Peter. You know, to me, you are one of those actors that makes everything you do better. It's just... Thank you. <laughs> Whether I'm seeing you for two minutes in something or I'm seeing you starring in something, yeah. it's, it, it just makes me, as just a person, as a film goer, not even a critic, watching it saying, I'm going to be okay. You know? <laughs> well, that's the highest compliment one can have, you know, is that one is doing one's job and reassuring people, which is... I know, but you could be playing King Lear or doing Super Troopers. Yeah. It's all... It's, Something's going to come out yeah, that's really good. But you, now with Churchill, you've got a beast here. Yeah, yeah. It's just one of those roles, you know. It's like, uh, it's, it's like being part of the Shakespeare canon. You know, you've got Lear and you've got Hamlet and you've got Prospero and you've got Othello. You've got all those great roles. And, and Churchill's exactly the same. I mean, it's the most Shakespearean role you could play, really, because of the, his language, his sense of rhetoric, the fact that he was a consummate painter, he was a strategist, he was a Renaissance man. So it's a, he's, it's a, very, he's a very Shakespearean character. Well, he way. is, and he's the only then Shakespearean character who looks like every newborn baby. That's right. Yes. That's, the, that's the thing. That, that was the thing for me. All babies look like Churchill, <laughs> and Churchill looks like all babies. So one of my greatest influences was through my boys. You know, my boys watched this program called Family Guy. Have you oh, ever yeah, seen sure, Family Guy? Sure. Yeah, well, my boys watch it. And I was watching Family Guy, and I suddenly saw Winston Churchill, the boy Winston Churchill, which is Stewie Griffin in Family Guy. Yeah. He's this kid. He even looks like Churchill. Stewie. He is. Stewie. Yeah. And he even looks like Churchill. And he is this, you know, he's misunderstood. He's, he's cantankerous. He's wild. He can only talk to the dog. The dog is the only person who can understand him. His parents don't understand him, which is... Same with Churchill. He was sort of ignored virtually as a kid. I mean, the one person who understood him was his wife, Clementine. So and it was a wonderful kind of image for me uh, in, 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 in creating the role, the child Churchill. I just love that idea. You know, should you win an Oscar for playing Churchill? Well. I think it well, would be great to thank Stewie. Oh, I'd, I yes. would thank Stewie straight away. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would thank Seth, Seth MacFarlane. Right. I think he's a genius, yes. you know, a comic genius, and Stewie is one of the great comic creations. People, you've got to be, when you're watching Churchill, I think it's really important to keep that Stewie image in your mind. <laughs> it, it will play a whole different way in your head while Absolutely. that's happening. But, uh, Brian, tell us a little bit about what Churchill is doing. This is not any standard biopic at all. It's, no, a, it's a piece of his life. It's, it's, an, it, it's to do with his doubt. You know, we, we, we always see Churchill the great, the great bulldog visionary, which he was, but it was not without cost. You know, he suffered from acute depression. He had this thing called Black Dog. He drank a prodigious amount of alcohol, you know, champagne for breakfast, uh, whiskey for lunch, brandy in the evening, Pepper topped up throughout the day with, with wine, you know, so he was amazing. He did have this incredible depression, as I say, and his history, you know, if you look at the history of the 20th century, it's a history of war, you know, uh, and Churchill was involved right from the Boer War, from when he was a kid, right through till his 70s, 
through till um, 1944, when he was in fact 70, and he was coming up to his 70th birthday, of, of the most extraordinary conflict that I think, you know, my parents, your parents lived through it, and mm -hmm. we don't, you know, we forget what that was like, you know, particularly in, in the UK, when it was under constant threat, and Churchill, who had been, he wasn't popular at church, he was never popular, people didn't like him, you know, because they, they were, he's, people thought he was an opportunist, but he wasn't, he just stuck to his principle, and he was against appeasement. And of course, nobody wanted to go to war in 1938 because of the First mm. World War, which was the war to earn own war. And that was his, that was also his uh, great moment of when he first was hit with, uh, you know, a kind of perhaps a hubris on his part, which was the Dardanelles campaign. He was first Lord of the Admiralty. He sorted that out with Kitchener. But it was a disaster. Mm. And they lost an enormous amount of men, like a quarter of a million men were lost. And he, which is haunting him, uh, totally seen, haunting him, yeah. and that's the spur for the film. That's why he doesn't want another amphibious landing. He and it's on record in Eisenhower's diaries and uh, Alan Brooks' diaries. It's there. He really didn't want an amphibious landing because the principal amphibious landing. This is the first wave, and I've seen videos of these guys, the all long gone now, who you know who drove the landing craft and said some of the boys never even made the beach. You know, they just didn't make the beach. And that was that principle that kind of wore him down a bit. So he was, he had his own plan, which is interesting because on the fifth week of our filming, the guy who was our military advisor, and nobody admitted about this, about, about Churchill's plan. And he said, yeah, um, yeah, we knew about that plan. He said, in fact, in the early days of the computer, we did a computer analysis on his plan. Ooh. And I said, oh. And I said, so what was the result? And he was very shamefaced. He said, well, with, he was sort of going, well, with a few caveats. Um, uh, the belief was that the war might have ended six months earlier. So, and that was his thing. He wasn't wrong. And of course, this was his source. And all his life, he'd been told, Winston, behave. Winston, you know, right. So there was that element of the precocious child who said, no, I know what I'm talking about. I know what I mean. I know what I'm saying. I know what it is. And he did understand strategy. And, it, and that's, what's, that's the kind of nub of what the film is. And, of course, the main thing in the film is his support from Clemmy, from... Oh, Brenda Richardson is so incredible. She's in incredible. Yeah, she just really is. She's it's an incredible so actress to work to with. To see, you know, this wife who actually world leaders are calling to get to deal with Winston yeah, Churchill, right. who's saying we don't know how to control him. I'd never seen him portrayed in this way before where I, when I think of him, he's always in the action. And here, with the D-Day thing being planned and you're dealing with Eisenhower or John Slattery plays, and he's, on, he's in the room, but he's off to the side. Yeah, that's right. And he's feeling very much marginalized. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. like I'm... You know, I'm not really here, so no wonder he has the depression. But has this depression, from your research, been something he suffered all his life? Yeah, all his life, he suffered it greatly. I think it goes right back to his childhood. Again, the child. I mean, the child is the father of the man, you know, and I, I really believe that. And I believe that we have, to keep, we have to keep that relationship with our child, with our five-year-old, six-year-old, three-year-old self. I mean, it's a very important relationship, especially creatively, it's very important. And he was, 
you know, for, for most of his childhood, he was destined to be the Duke of Marlborough because he was the heir apparent before his, eventually his cousin was born, but it was 12 years. So he was living in Blenheim Palace, living with his grandfather, who was the Duke of Marlborough, had a very good relationship. Sort of ignored by Jenny, his mom, mm. from Brooklyn, <laughs> his, yeah. his Brooklyn mom. <laughs> and of course, his father suffered from syphilis, so his brain was gone. So there was the young Winston, this baby Winston, who was like, um, you know, he was kind of kept in this very, very isolated and very lonely sort of life. And it was out of that he became a much more a control of his own destiny. But it's also out of that that his depression, I think, sprung. Your background, your growing up, I never really asked you how that prepared you to be the guy who's sitting in front of me now, you know? Well, it was, it was the acting, you know, I mean... When I, did it happen? When was well, the my first... dad, we, we have a great celebration in Scotland called Hogmanay. And everybody, when I was a kid, everybody had to perform. Everybody was made to perform, sing a song. Oh, it was performing. I thought you had yeah. to eat haggis or something. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, Hogmanay no. was a great. You go yeah. up and you sang. And my dad, we used to have a little coal bunker, which was in the recess of our window in our, in our flat in Dundee. And it was my first stage, which I didn't realize was my first stage. And my dad would put me on that stage. And I would do Jolson impersonations. You know, because it was Larry Parks, Jolson Sings Again. What the were Jolson you doing? Story. You know, Mammy? Or? Mammy, yeah. Swanee, you know, Climb Up On My Knees, Sunny Boy, yeah. which was a bit odd for a three-year-old child to sing. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm so trying I, to deal with that image. <laughs> so, I, so I did that, and then, of course, the comeback was always pretty good because it was one's own family, so they were all very kind. And then, you know, my father died when I was eight, and my mother had, had a serious a series of nervous breakdowns, and so she was severely incapacitated. So I used to go to the cinema regularly, and in my hometown there were 21 cinemas. 21 cinemas in my hometown. This is, I'm talking about in the early 50s. And I visited nearly every one of them. But my local cinemas was the Broadway on one side and the Royal on mm -hmm. the other side. Now, it was double features. So you would see, and it was, the programs changed every three days. So there'd be four films in each cinema. So I would, there'd be, and in a week, there'd be as many as eight movies. And you were there. Every day. <laughs> I saw every one of them. Mm -hmm. I would see them, you know. I was obsessed by movies. And I was, of course, obsessed by American movies because, because of the Irish connection, the Scottish connection. It was Pat O'Brien, it was in Jimmy Cagney, it was, you know, it was all you know, mm -hmm. dead-end kids, all that kind of thing. And then, of course, my mother being a Catholic, it was Spencer Tracy, you know, because she always thought Spencer Tracy would be a Catholic. So she said, you've got to watch Spencer Tracy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and you can't watch anybody better than yeah, Spencer he, Tracy. Yeah, you could do worse. So that was, that was my influence. That was the kind of influence I had. And, and it just, it seemed to me... I just knew that I wanted to be an actor. I knew that was where I was going. But headed. knowing and getting to do it are two different things. Well, that was the hardest. Yeah. Because my education was a disaster. I mean, it was a, I had a terrible education. Uh, I mean, it was, not, it, was just, it was not a fit. I wasn't fit to be, I wasn't good with my hands. I wasn't, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't put bricks like Churchill could. You know, he was, he was fantastic at making walls with bricks and stuff like that. I couldn't do any of that. But what happened was I had a couple of teachers who kind of recognized that I had a performing ability. And um, one kid who had been at my school had a job at the local repertory theater. And his job was he was going to go to drama school. So that job was going free. And basically the job was take the money to the bank in the morning 
and then in the evening mop the stage. That was what I had to mm -hmm. do. Or, and during the day I would go messages for the, 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 the assistant. And that's how I started. So I started in the theatre and it was Dundee Rep. Mopping the stage. I Mopping like the stage. And now um, you're Churchill. <laughs> Mopping yeah. the stage. But also people around were like Glenda Jackson was a young actress in the company. Nicole Williamson was an actor in the company. Uh, Edward Fox. So it was a pretty amazing group of people at that time. And uh, from then I went to drama school and that's how it all started. And it was the stage first, yeah. you know? Because I think what your first movie was Nicholas and Alexander, That's right. right? Because you, you, you're playing, um, was it Trotsky? Trotsky, yeah. Yeah, I mean, these figures that you play yeah. are, you know, historic yeah. beasts of yeah. figures. Yeah. You know, I always, you won the Emmy when you played Goering, right? That's right. In Nuremberg. Yeah. yeah. And that, that performance is still striking and stunning. That one moment that you have where you're being told by the American soldier that uh, you're the worst. Yeah. And he's saying, look what you guys are doing. Look what you're doing to the black people in your country. Yeah. Look what you're doing across the board. Yeah. It's stinging. Yeah. And it, it still stings. It was quite a, quite a thing. I mean, and again, really interesting character to play because... I mean, that's, that's the beauty of my job, is that we get to meet these people who we can demonize or we can make them heroic or what have you, but we do get to, we get to understand, anatomize who they are, mm -hmm. who they were and where they were coming from. And Goering was a tragic figure because he was someone who was a, after von Richthofen, he was the second most decorated war ace in the German, in the Luftwaffe. And at the end of the war, he flew his, squadron into Switzerland and abandoned them and then walked back and eventually ended up living in Sweden. He also was slightly depressive and he had a nervous breakdown. And then he came back and, and we never forget, we always forget how, how Hitler was formed. And Hitler was formed out of the punitive uh, Versailles Agreement, the Treaty of Versailles, which was punitive to the German mm -hmm. people. And so Churchill came to the fore and he was his front man and the rest is history. Yeah. Well, you also play Joe Stalin. Yeah. You have all that. And yet, you know, I, I said it at the start <laughs> that a movie is fun as Super Troopers. Uh -huh. You know, here you are with all these historical figures rattling around yeah. in your head. You know? Well, Super Troopers is a very good point. And it's, it's very interesting about critics. You know, because you do a certain amount of work and they kind of say, oh, he does this, he does that. And then there was a guy called Cosmo Landensman, who's a very good critic for the Observer uh, paper in, in, in the UK. And uh, he wrote, he gave a, this was a review, mm -hmm. and you always, like Churchill, <laughs> you, get, you never remember the good ones, you always remember oh, the bad ones. Right, yeah. So what was interesting, he's, he said, um, he, <laughs> in the paper he said, if Mr. Cox needed the money, I'm sure friends could have lent it to him. <laughs> And this is for Super Troopers, which is now the stoner movie of all time. It kind of is. And, you and know, I'm sure you made 20, 30 million for well, it, right? no, yeah, no, 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 I didn't. Yeah, I didn't there's no money. No, there was no money yeah, in that. Yeah, no yeah, money. Right, so yeah. it wasn't a question of borrowing money from I'm friends. I'm here excited that there's maybe going to be Super Troopers too. We've done it. We've we done it. it. It's yeah, done. We made it. Yeah, it's just um, we're trying to find it's the guys are, because they've done it all themselves through startup and everything, and they're amazing. The guys are amazing. Now they've just lost a slot. They had a slot in July, but because of the whole, you know, the whole way, the whole 
politics of cinema nowadays. They're, they probably won't open it until next year, you know, until after Sundance, probably. Well, as long as it comes, yeah, you know, that's come. it. Because look, you've, you have that spectrum of it in terms of Hollywood and, and what Hollywood movies are, whether you're doing Troy with Brad Pitt yeah. or you're doing uh, Planet of the Apes, Rise of the Planet of that's the Apes, right. or X-Men, yeah. you know? And then on television, born movies as well. Born movies, (laughs) and then you have on television, a Deadwood and really great writers. So is it mostly though that people stop you and say you were the first Hannibal Lecter? Well, they yeah sometimes they do. I mean they they what I I I used to love my anonymity, and I'm I think it's because I've been around too long. I'm getting less (laughs) anonymous. But it was nice because they say, did you, were you, was it? And you go, you and Manhunter. Exactly. And I did do the first, yeah, I did that, you know, which was a a strange film to do because it was, um, it was a film that, uh, and I got that film. It was an interesting thing because I got that through um, Bonnie Timmerman, who cast it. Casting director. Yeah, and Bonnie was wonderful, genius casting director. And she came to see me in a play uh, that I was doing at the public here. New York, and um, I was, when I went for the interview, she said, um, would you mind if you turned your back to the camera, please? And I went, this is going up for a job. I said, sure, I'll turn my back. She said, no, the, the reason I asked that is because I couldn't see you when I, I arrived late and I couldn't see you, so I closed my eyes and I just listened to your voice. And I really want Michael, and this is Michael Mann, to get an impression of your voice. So if you could just turn away and play a good section of your lines away from the camera so he can hear you. I said, sure. So I did it. And I got the job. <laughs> <laughs> There's the key. That's the key. <laughs> Show nothing. Do Show it all nothing. from the back of your head to <laughs> do right. that. Well, it's, it's just always so great to talk to you. And to we, talk this to show you, ends here in song, always, you know. And yeah. I was going to ask you to do something that was Scottish. All right. But when you told me you did Jolson. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. I'm just, I'm dying to hear it. Oh, God. You've got to remember. You sort of, okay. Yeah. Uh, let me see. Climb up on my knees, sonny boy. Though you're only three, sonny boy. There's no good of crying. There's no good denying what you mean to me, sonny boy. When there are gray skies, never mind those gray skies, will still be blue, sonny boy. Oh, that's beautiful. That ranks with <laughs> we'll fight him on the beaches. <laughs> Churchill never could have done that. Brian, that thank was you unexpected. So much. Thank, thank you, Peter. You know,